So, this morning we come to the final episode of our series on Job. And uh, this morning is uh, entitled, Why Should I Forgive? And so we're going to uh, read uh, the last, uh, part of the last few verses from Job. And they're going to come up on the screen behind me. And uh, we're going to read these together. So this is what it says. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord made him prosperous again and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought upon him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. It's a really interesting passage. As I started looking at this, um, I found it very provoking. I feel God's going to be speaking to each and every one of us today. I was watching uh, a film uh, about a week ago. It's a film I hadn't seen before. Um, It was made uh, in the 90s. Uh, It's entitled In the Name of the Father. And it's a film uh, uh, principally about a guy called Jerry Conlon. Um, who was one of the Guildford Four who was wrongly convicted of the IRA bombing of two pubs in Guildford in 74. Killed uh, five people and wounding 65 others. Jerry Conlon hadn't committed the crime that he was accused of committing and served 15 years in prison. He had many unanswered questions. He was freed in 1989 and left court angrily demanding justice in the name of his father, who'd also been wrongly convicted and unfortunately had died in prison. As I was mulling over, just thinking about that film, I was, I was thinking this is the sort of end that we would have expected to the story of Job. Life had fallen apart around Job. His family, his wealth, his health, relationships had been torn away from him. Loved ones had tragically died. Disaster had struck. He'd been afflicted with painful sores and we're told gnawing pain, gnawing pain. Those closest to him, people that he trusted, people that he loved, made clear that he was the architect of his own ruin. One even implied that it was God who'd imprisoned him. He was in prison. God had done it. But unbeknownst to all of them, nothing could have been further from the truth. Job consistently pleaded his innocence. He was desperate for answers from God. And eventually, metaphorically, he gets out of prison. God speaks to him and Job realises that he's made a mistake. He's made a mistake to be blaming God. He doesn't end up like Jerry Conlon, the Guildford, for coming out angry. 
he suddenly realised he's made a terrible mistake because God does care and God hasn't abandoned him. He encounters God. And at the end, he declares, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Today, as we come to the climax of this story, we find that the key issue isn't understanding all the whys and wherefores of unjust suffering, but it's rather receiving and giving forgiveness. It's a shocking end. You see, forgiveness is a huge issue in our society. Why should I forgive is something each one of us have at some point secretly cried. It is the unspoken question that Job is, that's ringing in Job's heart and in his head. C.S. Lewis once said this. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. We all know that's true, don't we? And as we unpack this passage, we're going to firstly consider God's perspective and all that's gone on. And it's going to shock us. Having done that, we're going to learn from Job's reaction. And finally, we're going to see that the answer to Job's great heart cry is found in Jesus Christ. So as we consider the question, why should I forgive? First of all, we're going to focus on the merciful judge. See, in the midst of his suffering, Job cried out for mercy from God. He called him his judge in Job chapter 9, verse 15. And at the end, God declares Job innocent. But then God passes judgment and deals with Job's friends. God, the judge of the whole earth, we're told, has been wrongly judged by Job's friends. God, the judge, has been wrongly judged. They've not spoken rightly of God, whereas Job has. You see, these friends, so-called friends of Job, expected God to commend them and condemn Job. How wrong they were. I want to suggest that we easily slip into speaking just like these friends of Job did. We glibly talk about God whose ways are beyond tracing out when there are many things that we don't know. I'm going to tell you a story. It is relevant. So there's this girl and... um, She's uh, single, and she's baby. Uh, she's uh, not babysitting. She, well, she's li- literally babysitting the house. She's lo- house sitting for uh, some friends of hers. They're going away for a weekend. Um, they live in London, and they ask her to, "Would you look after sit in the house uh, over the weekend?" Um, and we have a dog. Would you look after the dog? The only thing is, the dog is not been well recently, and the dog's quite old, fifteen, and. If anything happens to the dog, if the dog were to die, we don't want you to worry. We know the dog's not well, okay? We know the dog's not well. Just take the dog to the vet. The vet will sort it all out. So she says, fine. So the first night, she goes to bed, gets up the next morning, and the dog has died overnight. So she thinks, oh, no, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I need to take it to the vet. How, how am I going to get it to the vet? How am I going to get it on the tube to the vet? I, I put it in a suitcase. 
So she puts the dog, the dead dog, in the suitcase and she gets on the tube. So she's on the tube and in this suitcase next to her is, is the dog. And uh, this guy starts chatting to her. And um, she gets to the place where she's got a tube she's got to get off. And this guy's getting off with her. And he says, oh, there's, there's steps here. We've got to walk up. That suitcase looks heavy. Do you want me to carry it for you? She goes, oh, oh thank you. That would be, that'd be helpful. Thank you. So as he's walking up the steps, he's walking, they're walking up the steps. They're coming towards the top. He says, this is a bit heavy. He says, what's in here? She says, oh, I think so. Oh, can't tell him it's a their dog in the suitcase. So she says, um, I'm into music, uh, lots of CDs, and, um, I, and you know what's going to happen, don't you? I can see you can guess where this is going to go, can't you? I think you, you started to get where this is going to go. Guess the dog. So she says, there's CDs in there, and, and a few things. He says, oh, gets to the top of the steps. He picks up the suitcase, and he's off. He steals the suitcase. He steals the suitcase, thinking that he's stolen loads of CDs, and he hasn't. Now, when I was telling that story, you thought that the suitcase was going to fall open, didn't you? That's what you thought. You thought somehow the zip was going to come undone, he was going to, or he was going to open the suitcase, and he was going to find a dead dog. Not at all. You see, we think sometimes we know what the end of the story is going to be, and we don't. And I want to make this point to you. There are lots of things in life that we think we know. We think we get it. We think we know where the story's going. We think we know what God is saying, but we don't. We have no idea what God's doing. We are not God. And one of the lessons Job teaches us to be careful how we speak about God. Let me give you some examples. Listen to this. AIDS is the specific judgment of God on homosexuality. I've heard people say that. Is it? Is it? Hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. God one day is going to judge this world, going to judge this will of all the things we do wrong, all our sin, all our wrongdoing. He's going to judge everything, every wrong attitude, every wrong motive. God will judge one day. But when he sent Jesus into this sin-sick world, Jesus came and he spoke only what he saw his father saying. And Jesus said this, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. Jesus never judged, he showed mercy. Why? Because James tells us mercy triumphs over judgment. Sometimes we are really careless with what we say about God. Let me give you some examples. I've been told in the past by well-meaning Christians that God hates rock music. He hates disco dancing. He hates drinking alcohol and going to the cinema. Does he? We need to be really careful when something close to our heart becomes a campaign that's supported by God. We have to speak about God rightly. We need to be careful. We need to treat with care. Saying things like, God told me. 
We need to be careful. We need to couch it well. We need to be willing to hear what others have got to say because sometimes we don't hear correctly. We hear people say things like, God won't bless you if you don't give. Is that true? Is that what the Bible teaches? I don't think it is. If we're not healed, we're not trusting God. I hear those sorts of things implied in things that we say sometimes. Listen, there were threads of truth in what Job's friends said. But they went too far and they misrepresented God. They were harsh and graceless and it all became very personal. And God was angry. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, we're told, in Hebrews chapter 10. I mean, God was not throwing a tantrum. God is holy and righteous. Job's friends had dishonoured him. And the end was not going to be pretty. I want you to remember, though, these were not bad men. Because at the end, as God challenges them and speaks to them, they immediately do what he says. These were not bad men. They were people who would have been in churches like this this morning. How should we speak about God? The safest approach is to stick to what God's word actually says. Not what it doesn't say. Let's not be people who judge others on behalf of God. As the psalmist says, let this be our heart. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You see, God makes it clear that forgiveness is needed. God can't turn a blind eye towards our wrongdoing, our sin. Forgiveness is needed. Up to until then, they didn't even realize they needed it. They didn't realize they needed forgiveness. They thought they were in the right and Job was in the wrong. They thought Job was the one that was in trouble. Notice it was God who highlighted the fact that they needed forgiveness. God initiated it. God initiated it. In this moment, we start to see a wonderful glimpse of the gospel of grace. It was God who points out they were in trouble. Here we see glimpses of the overwhelming loving kindness of God towards sinful men and women. A holy and just God must deal with our wrongdoing. Rebellion against God, we're told, results in separation from him. It's what the Bible calls death. It talks about death as being, being separated from God. Our sin, our rebellion results in death. Being kept from God's presence. Forgiveness is needed. Forgiveness requires a costly sacrifice. God makes it clear a costly sacrifice is needed. A sacrifice of seven bulls and seven rams. Hugely expensive. Why not just one? Why not just one ram, one bull? Why does it need seven? See, in the Bible, the number seven speaks of perfection. A perfect sacrifice was needed to satisfy the wrath of God. The cost of forgiveness is high. Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no 
forgiveness of sin. Not only was forgiveness costly, but forgiveness requires a mediator. Someone had to represent these three men before God. And that man in this case was Job. The merciful judge would accept Job's prayer on their behalf. And if God was the merciful judge, then Job was the forgiven victim. Henry Ward Beecher once said this, I can forgive, but I can't forget. That is only another way of saying, I can't forgive. How many times have we heard ourselves say something similar? It is a daily battle to forgive. I want you to imagine, okay, that Annette and I, Annie and I, we've had a bit of a tiff. I just want you to imagine, okay, I know you sort of think it's not going to happen, but I want you to imagine that we've had a tiff and, and she's in the wrong, okay? I want you just to imagine, just, just imagine, okay, it's just imagine. And... Um, I want you to, and, and so, I, I mean, I'm just irritated, frustrated, and so what happens is, uh, the battle, battle for forgiveness is, I, I go and I, I go and I, I get in my room and my study and I, I talk to God and I say, God, I am so cross with her. And God says, tell me about it. Tell me about it. Do I have a conversation like that? I want to tell you, I never have a conversation like that. I never have a conversation with God about the issue of forgiveness where someone has upset me and hurt me. I never have a conversation where God is going, oh, yeah, you are right. Yeah, it was awful, wasn't it? Oh, there, there, never mind. It'll all be all right. Do you know what I find? The battle for forgiveness is when I get alone with God, I find God going, starting to prod my heart. You know when you said that? You know when you... You said that phrase. Imagine what that must have been, that would have felt like. I tell you, there is a battle for forgiveness. See, how would Job have felt? These guys have been lying about him. They've been saying that he himself is a liar. He's an extortionist, they say. He's been extorting from people who are uh, uh, poor and you've been taking advantage of them. You've been cruel. What terrible things have been said about him. Imagine close friends have been saying that about you. Not only are you hurt by the lies and the damage to your reputation, but you're devastated by the betrayal of friends. And suddenly, I want you to imagine what it must have felt like. Suddenly, they turn up and they go, Oh, sorry. Sorry about all that. God said you're to pray for us. How would you have felt after they've just had months and months of haranguing him? Imagine how you would have felt. I'll pray for you. Is your reaction going to be Job's? I tell you, it's a real battle for forgiveness. And what we see here, before anything else, we see that Job has to forgive. You see, we get so caught up in ourselves when we come before God. It's like Peter with Jesus. In John 21, Peter has let Jesus down. He's disappointed him. And Jesus graciously forgives him. And they're going along and Jesus says something to him. And he turns around and goes, 
what about him? John is walking behind. And he says, well, what about him? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't worry about him. Let me, I'll sort that out. I'm dealing with you. That's what happens in forgiveness. As God deals with us, we, we're often suffering. Well, what about them? What about, don't, don't worry about that. Let me deal with your heart. And here we see Job is a forgiven victim. You see, the first thing is, is that the problem is it still hurts. Forgiveness is not dependent on forgetting. I mean, what Job's friends have said is written down for posterity. We're still reading it today. It was not forgotten. It was not forgotten. Sometimes we have to, like Job, live with the consequences of what people say and do to us. You see... I don't think Job forgave them after it stopped hurting. I think it only stopped hurting after he forgave them. When they turned up at his door, Job had to make a decision, even if he didn't feel like it. He had to make a decision to forgive them. Forgiveness starts with a decision. But it's the best decision we can ever make because the, the person most damaged by unforgiveness is us. You see, often the person who's hurt us or said something about us, they don't even know that they've hurt us. Sometimes that's true. And sometimes we feel, well, I'm not going to forgive them. Well, they're not bothered. They're not in the slightest bothered, bit bothered. They don't even know that it's a problem. The, one that, the person that's in prison in those situations is us. We're not punishing them, we're punishing ourselves. Sometimes, they do know they've hurt us. People do know they've let us down and disappointed us. And we go, well, I'm, I'm going I'm to make them pay for this. Actually, we're the ones that get most damaged by that. We get racked with bitterness. Bitterness is a terrible thing eats away inside of us. Eats away. The fruit of bitterness is is a horrible thing when you see it in someone's life. God says don't be like that. Forgiveness starts with a decision. Martin Luther King said this, forgiveness is a permanent attitude. You see, sometimes forgiveness, it's a process. We, 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 we say, okay, I'm going to forgive that person. Imagine what Job would be like, I, I, I'm going to forgive them. And then 10 minutes later, inside, the issue comes up again. And they say, oh, no, I've forgiven them. I've got to forgive them. I forgive them. I, I, I do forgive them. And then the next day, he sees them and they say something. It triggers something off inside. They go, oh, oh, I'm so, oh, no, 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 forgive me. I've got to. Forgiveness is a process. Day by day, moment by moment, we live in that decision. And we work it out. We outwork it. Forgiveness is a permanent attitude. How did Job seemingly do it so easy, easily? There isn't a hint of smugness. I would have, I would have been really smug. I would have been really smug when the moment comes and God speaks. Told you. Told you I was right. I I will will pray for you, but I did tell you, didn't I? 
No hint of smugness at all. In fact, you don't pick up anything like that from the text. What you pick up is Job simply responds, quickly responds. He prays them. He does what God has said. Why? And there's a simple explanation for why he does what he does. Job himself, a victim, had been overwhelmed by the mercy of God towards him. He, even though God speaks well of him, there are, Job has been railing. He's been chirping to God. He's been, he's been going on and on and on, throwing, well, if I was before God, I would do this and I would... And then when God speaks, Job is undone in a moment. God suddenly asks him, says, well, you think you've got all these questions. Well, let me ask you some questions. And Job asks him over 70, God asks Job over 75 questions. And Job doesn't know the answer to one of them. In that moment, Job realized that God is God and he is not. And in that moment, when he realizes that, he is undone before this great, awesome God. And it says, Job says, I repent before you. He repents before God. What he's not doing, he's not saying, I was wrong, those guys were right all the time. No, no, no. He's saying, no, no. He's not saying that at all. He's ad- he's, what he's admitting to is, God, you are God. You know, and I don't. How dare I have presumed to know you in that way? And he repents, and he says, repentance is a change in his thinking. And so he knows that God has been merciful to him. God could have crushed him in a moment. God could have wiped him out of existence. And God has been kind to him. And, and Job has received grace and mercy from God. And because of that, I think something wells up in his heart. God has been so merciful to me. Of course, I'll forgive you. He's been so kind to me. He didn't have to treat me like that. I want, to, I want you to receive the mercy that I've received. He was able to freely forgive because he knew he'd been freely forgiven himself. And as he prayed for his friends and outworked forgiveness, God broke chains in him. It was the start of a new day. you've been battling this stuff God wants to break chains in you today this could be the start a new day start of a new season for you God wants it to be our experience and as we come to the end of Job we've seen a merciful judge a forgiven victim but we come face to face with a willing saviour You see, in the Old Testament, we only catch occasional glimpses of God's greater purposes. Yet all of the Old Testament points towards Jesus Christ. There is no better example of this than when we come to the end of the book of Job, where we come face to face with the gospel. Andrew McBeath says this, The book of Job reads like the first draft of the gospel story. Let me show you. Job was blameless and upright, feared God, shunned evil. God said there was no one on earth like him. Job experienced terrible, undeserved suffering and yet persevered through his trial. Does he remind you of someone? Job 
foreshadowed one who was far greater, who was to follow. Jesus, God's son, lived a perfect life. Jesus knew what it was to be unfairly treated, to suffer as an innocent man, to have people say things about you that just weren't true. And the book of Hebrews says this, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, became a man, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. He suffered more than any man has ever suffered, and yet he did it for us. Because God knew forgiveness was needed. You see, just like Job and his friends, we need forgiveness. Jesus came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, we're told in John 1.29. Sacrifices of bulls and rams provided a temporary answer, but they were an imperfect solution to the problem because they kept having to be made because we keep doing things wrong. We keep sinning, the Bible says. God provided a permanent solution. Paul puts it beautifully. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus is the once and forever sacrifice for sin. Nothing more is needed. He's the spotless lamb. His blood has been shed once and for all for each one of us. We are never, we are, for, we are forever, not never, we are forever, we are forever, forever forgiven. We are forever forgiven because of Christ. Forgiveness was costly. God's righteous and just anger demanded a perfect and costly sacrifice. Paul says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men. But God initiated the solution. He provided the perfect costly sacrifice. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since now we've been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Hallelujah. It's the gospel. A mediator was needed. Job himself recognized he needed a mediator before God. Four times in these verses that we read at the beginning, God calls Job my servant. It's a reminder from the book of Isaiah, where Isaiah talks about the servant of the Lord who is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. Jesus is this mediator, our great mediator. And Paul sums it up in Timothy where he says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one who stands between us and God, whoever lives to intercede for us, always pleads our case. As he hung on the cross in his terrible suffering, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, in the name of the Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
Jesus always accepts his prayers for us. Someone once said this. We are most like beasts when we kill. We're most like men when we judge. And we're most like God when we forgive. Forgiveness is possible. Forgiveness is possible. We must never lose sight of how much Jesus has done for us. He has reconciled us to God. We should be spending every day, there should be time where we are basking in God's grace towards us. If we don't appreciate how much we are forgiven, we will struggle to forgive others. And Jesus' parable of the unforgiving servant is an ominous warning. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Unforgiving people have not been forgiven themselves. Those who are forgiven are so broken by it, they cannot but forgive others. Are you broken by what God has done for you? Are you broken by the fact that he sent his son, his beloved son, to die for you? I tell you, if you're broken by that, forgiveness comes much easier. Paul says to the Ephesians, get rid of all bitterness. Feeling bitter this morning? Struggling with forgiving? Get rid of all bitterness. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Forgiveness is possible. And as we come to finish, I want you to know this. Forgiveness brings freedom. Job's life was turned around by an encounter with God. Forgiveness and praying for those who defended him brought freedom and blessing. That is the glorious good news of the gospel. Jesus will do the same for you today. Maybe you're struggling to forgive. Maybe you're struggling to forgive yourself. Maybe you feel that you've let God down so badly he can never forgive you. I tell you, he has prayed, God has paid the most costly sacrifice for you. He has forgiven you. You just need to receive it. Maybe you're struggling to forgive others what they've done to you. I want to say to you, I want to encourage you to go back and and think on what Christ did for you. We're going to have a moment of reflection as we remember what Jesus did for us. And as you do that, I want to say, as you're broken by how much he has forgiven you of, God wants to provoke you to forgive and let go and forgive others. Maybe this morning you're coming and you've, you, don't, you don't know God in this way and you're thinking, can God forgive me? Yes. He sent his son for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only beloved son. That whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. You see, maybe you're battling with many questions like Job. Job didn't get any answers to any of his questions. But he encountered the grace of God. And that was enough. 
I want to say to you today, as we close, we don't need answers. We need a relationship. That's what we need. You can have all the answers you like, and it's still not enough. We need a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I tell you, when you have that, the questions become far less important. I was talking to some two people over these last couple of weeks. And one of them was saying to me, I have so many questions. They had more questions than you could shake a stick at. And what they realized, they they said to me, they said, I realized, actually I realized that I wasn't going to get answers to the questions, but I've got a relationship and the relationship has changed everything. They just don't seem so important anymore. The questions are still there. They haven't gone away, but the relationship trumps everything. You can have that today. That can be yours today. What good news is that? Forgiveness brings freedom.